This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change, or transformation, we have some great content. We launch into different areas of delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you're not going to get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha. And this is our episode on the importance of facilitation. I'm so happy to welcome Charles-Louis Demer. Charles-Louis, hello again. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I am happy that you are here again and you're joining us. And every time you join us, you help build some of our knowledge in the area of facilitation, which like we really, really appreciate. And we are happy that we can share that with the community. So that our listeners can get to know you a little bit, do you want to introduce yourself? I grew up in a small country that is known for its very complex and intricate matters in regards to government because it's Belgium. And Belgium is a place with three languages. And I think last time I checked, there were eight or nine different governments because we've got a federal government, one government also per region, and then sub-regions, communities, and so on. It's very complex. Uh... But still, um, we're also very famous for being a country that runs without government for a couple of months and sometimes even a couple of years. So I think our record is more than 500 days uh, without a government. Uh, Yeah, after elections, people need to kind of agree on who they want to be with. That sounds really complex from layers and layers of authority. Oh, yeah. That would confuse the heck out of me around protocols of what to follow, et cetera, et cetera. And then is that a respite period? after an election i think they just count the votes and then uh, since we have many parties and so on they just try and see okay with whom are we going to associate with do we agree on the on whatever so actually it takes a whole lot of time and uh that's belgium but i think one of the things that i do like uh, i mean many of the things that i like about belgium like chocolate beer and so on one thing that i like is i I grew up in a french-speaking family in an area that speaks dutch because Belgium is also known for its three national languages, which are French, Dutch, and German. And you speak and, all three? Yep. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm actually internally reflecting and thinking, my my niche, like, I know French, GCSE level, just probably GCSE level, and I've retained that in my memory, and that's about it in terms of languages. So, like, did you grow up speaking those languages through school? Yeah, so that's really the advantage. I was growing in the Dutch-speaking area of Belgium, and my parents, I'm French-speaking family, they sent us to school, of course, in a Dutch school. Dutch-Flemish, depending on who you ask, is similar. I had to understand the language if I wanted to understand when it was time to eat, uh, or if I needed to go <laughs> bathroom or if you know like uh, the the basic stuff you know when you're two and a half years old and you're starting in school and you don't understand the language well at some point you've got to learn you've got to figure out what they're saying and try to understand that so there are many connections made up there by you through the use of languages I'm always impressed when I hear people have grown up speaking multiple languages. I too grew up speaking Hindi, Gujarati, and then adapting to English. Um, you know, when I was born in the UK, because those are the languages my parents spoke at home. Okay, so here's an interesting question when we talk about languages. I asked this to a couple of friends over dinner back last year, and I really want to know your answer. What language do you think in? I think in the language that I'm speaking in. So, for instance, right now, when we're having that conversation, if I can think and if I realize I'm thinking in English and if I'm 
at home with one my family and speaking French with them, I'll be thinking in French because it is faster for me to think in the language that I'm currently speaking in so that I don't have to go through the hoops of kind of translating uh, back and forth and so on. So uh, I've learned a lot from you, even watching you facilitate. So some of those nuggets I know will come out during our conversation today. Now, before we do that, we flip things on this podcast. Oh. What we try and do is we try and ask you quick fire questions. And these are fun questions, right? So that our audience can get to know you a bit better and a bit about what makes Charles-Louis tick. So okay. I know you love traveling. So this has got yep. to be one of my first questions. What's one of the most memorable places that you've traveled to and why? Can I pick two? <laughs> yeah, no okay. rules, my friend. Go for it. Okay. Okay, great. There's two places that are really like have a big impact uh, in me. One of them is uh, Lima, Peru. Uh, I traveled to Lima, uh, Peru in February 2020. End of February 2020, just before, I mean, you know, in hindsight, just before the lockdown. And uh, I was invited there by uh, Alejandra Oporto, uh, who's a friend of mine. And mm -hmm. uh, she had asked me to run some storytelling, uh, storytelling training in Lima. And so we weren't sure whether we would have enough people signing up for it to be viable because of the whole trip and so on. And so we decided also to co-facilitate a Bicablo visual facilitation training together. So nice. here I am, leaving Belgium, taking a plane. Uh, okay, there was also the fact of a couple of hours before my plane, I have a message that the plane is cancelled. And so like I had to find out uh, alternative ways because otherwise I would not be ready to teach the thing. But that's another story. So I go to Peru. I was like really invited in such a... It was so amazing to be welcomed by Alejandra and Christian and teaching this uh, visual facilitation class together i would do it in english and she would uh, do some bits in spanish but uh -huh. the, to me it was all the whole preparation co-facilitation and also i didn't go to uh, Machu Picchu or I, I mean I stayed in Lima mm -hmm. but it was really a great trip I met some fantastic people there and uh, when I came back to Belgium and 10 days later lockdown started so we stayed in touch and so we we continued uh, you know uh, sending each other messages and so on and like taking care of each other uh, of this whole group of people that I met so like that was really great the other um place that I has been really meaningful for me is uh, in January 2022 when I traveled to Niger. Uh, so Niamey, the capital of Niger, not Nigeria, where they speak English, Niger, where they speak French. And I was there also to give a Bicabro Visual Facilitation class for a group there, and it was all organized by UNICEF. The interesting part, though, was not necessarily in that training, but there, I met somebody, uh, Haruna, and basically at some point he called me and he said, Hey, you know, uh, I've got this friend uh, who told me about you, shall we? And can we meet? So I'm like, Okay, I got this stranger that calls me out of the blue and wants to meet. And he comes to my uh, hotel and then we share a tea. Mm. I mean, we, we go and share a drink. So we sit at the table, the waiter comes in. And this is where I was like, it felt like I was on another planet because the waiter arrives at our table. The waiter says, oh, to, to Haruna, oh, you're my master, are you? 
And then uh, Haruna replies back, oh, yes, and you're my slave, right? So you need to serve me well because you're my slave. And I'm like, okay, you know, like this white middle-aged man, I see two people from Niger who speak at each other with master-slave words, which in our countries is like totally not done because of all the history and so on. So like, And they were just laughing. And the guy there was saying, oh, yeah, and since you're my master, you need to take really good care of me. Otherwise, I will not serve you well. And so for five to ten minutes, they were really bantering with each other on that whole relationship. And I was so confused. So the 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 waiter goes, I mean, takes our order. He goes away. And then I ask Haruna, so that guy, you know him, right? And he's like, never met him before in my life. Then I was like, okay, uh, so you need to tell me, right? Because um, in Belgium, <laughs> when somebody tells somebody from African uh, origin that he's a slave or she's a slave, this is like, you know, you, you can speak no, get no. In trouble for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, that's uh, we were just bantering. That's because uh, we've got this thing in West Africa. It's called joking relationships. Basically, there's many different ethnicities in Niger. I don't remember all the names, but I know that there's the Pearl, there's the Tuareg, and so on. So, like, there's different ethnicities. And throughout history, we've had relationships. Some were traders, some other were the slaves of another ethnicity, and so on. And so, it was like that. And then, at some point, we started fighting each other. Really violent and bloody wars that lasted for generations. Mm. And then, at some point, the, the, the tribe leaders for lack of a better word, decided to stop this. And they said, they, they joined together and they said, you know what, actually we're all cousins. We fought all these wars to what end? And, you know, in a way, all of our ethnicities have had relationships together. So let's include that and let's remember that we're cousins. So basically anyone now meets somebody from another ethnicity on the street well you address them as cousins and keeping the relationship you had intact so this is why the slave master was totally fine because their ethnicities in the past had that relationship and even better than that if you're from that slave uh, ethnicity and you meet somebody from your master ethnicity uh, i know the words may sound a bit weird but right. like that's their words the words that they use um, you can totally go up to, hey, Nisha, hey, you're my master, I'm your slave, right? And I'm hungry, I'm starving. There's this nice restaurant there. You need to provide food to me. So you in invite me to that restaurant. And even though we're strangers, you cannot refuse that. Wow. That works the other way. So it's, it's a totally flip scenario. What a great story about connectedness. Yeah, it that, is. It's that feeling of connectedness that's been created. So that you can joke about what formerly was, but not take advantage of that master-slave relationship. And the beauty is that Haruna is actually also somebody who works on peace-building initiatives in the whole West African bank. So like he works with youth who 15, 16, 20 years old, who've been through these terrorist groups, who've got blood on their hand. And he's like, hey, dude, yeah. your life's not over yet. You know, like, hey, just grow over that and your life's not over so who do you want to be yeah i'd love to watch people like that in action when they facilitate because they have real influence over those children and you know yeah. it's it's quite heavy dealing with that kind of background but you have to maintain that level of distance as well um so that you can advise or facilitate conversations in the right way 
Charles-Louis, I know you have been up to so much stuff, so much growth, so much offering to the community in the area of facilitation. What's been happening in your world since we last spoke? Loads of things uh, have been happening. So uh, we, we, with my friend Francis Lalaman, we uh, run a couple of uh, Kisho Tenketsu facilitation tracks or, 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 or journeys. It's a year-long program to, to learn the ins and outs of facilitation, not only how it works well, but also the impact of, of facilitation, what we need to watch out for, and also when it can totally blow up in our face and what to do then. Uh, uh-huh. so, because failures are part of it. And so it's important to kind of be ready for that when that happens instead of, of, of only seeing things through the rose-tinted glasses. So we ran a couple of those sessions. Uh, even Haruna, whom I talked about uh, from, from Niger, he joined one of the classes as well. And it was really inspiring to have him as someone who really works as through peace or, or on peace-building initiatives, uh-huh. uh, share his experience of facilitation with people who do facilitation as coaches, as uh, product owners, as managers. And so all these experiences that are shared, it's, it's really, really amazing. We've also done a couple of cohorts for NGOs in South and Southeast Asia. Wow. Um, they came to us and they asked us, hey, uh, now that we're in lockdown, uh, we used to go to schools previously and uh, now the schools are closed. And so how can we continue providing workshops and doing effective work online mm-hmm. with the kids, with the youth who are sometimes, you know, maybe miles away and who are sometimes also in villages with a flaky internet connections. So it's not like here in Europe where, yeah, just, you know, take a computer with a high-speed connection and a webcam and then, you know, you'll have classes online. So, like, how do we keep connection? There's that word again. Mm -hmm. How do we keep engagement with these youth on these programs that are so important to us? And that was really amazing. We worked uh, for two years with Empower on, on some tracks and there's some really, really great stories there as well. Next to that, there's also a couple of uh, organizations that asked me uh, to run some of these tracks. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really cool. I Last year, I ran three tracks for Proximus, which is the Belgian historical telecom operator. Right. And so they've asked a couple of uh, learning tracks. And for 2024, I've got a couple of other companies that's also signed up for that. Wow. Can I uh, go back to your first point around Kisho Tenketsu? Because what yes. I'd love to know is, what does it mean? mean what's the origin of kisho tenketsu why is it so special i've got an idea in my mind already from what you've just said but i want want that to be really clear for our audience because i know what you and francis alleman are doing is making a difference to those that are joining those cohorts to learn these facilitation skills before i answer and give away what kisho tenketsu means Mm. i think it's important also to realize when we are facilitating uh, or when we are participants there's a couple of things that happen. Either uh, I've seen facilitators who, and I've done that in the past as well, really like saying this will happen and then this will happen and making it very clear and, and really providing a clear uh, uh, program of the day or of the session. Thing is, usually at some point, something changes, somebody says something, and then we need to pivot. And that mm-hmm. whole plan doesn't work anymore. Yes. Also, the other thing that I've noticed is with, too much clarity then 
people lose their curiosity because they think that everything's obvious. Yeah. And so Kisho Tenketsu is also a way as to how can we as facilitators, and it may sound totally weird here, how can we as facilitators cultivate the love for vague enough? Now we'll now facilitate. Every time I give instructions, I ask people, not is it clear enough, but I'd rather ask, is it vague enough? So Because that gives a freedom of exploration for the participants. And there's a difference between clear enough, which usually is too clear and then we, we lose a little bit of creativity, vague enough, which gives a sense of direction without being too prescriptive, and the one we don't want at all that's too vague. Hmm. Because when it's too vague, then everything collapses. Yeah. And so it's about finding the right point for this vague enough. That's such a good spin on it. And you know what? Sometimes keeping things vague enough gets you used to feeling a bit uncomfortable in that situation. Because even you saying, I've had it drummed into me, Charles-Louis, like in, in my past, I used to be a project manager. Get things clear, make it very, very clear, bring clarity, make sure the objectives are out there. But then people then tend to follow a specific route. And you don't even realize that what you're doing yep. is throwing pebbles down for people to th to follow that pebbled path. But what happens when yes. you veer off it? Are you actually getting closer to where you need to be? And and also, you know, like whenever we invite people for doing some work together, yeah. what I want is I would like everyone to contribute. Yes. So this vague enough is actually an invitation for everyone to tell me, hey, this is what I see. This mm. is what I see. This is what I see with different perspectives. Mm. I like that. So Kisho Tenketsu allows you to oh. create that space for that level of contribution. Yes. Yeah. And we do that really by experimenting it. And I know that sometimes in some of the sessions, some of the participants, especially in the beginning, they are... Is it angry at us, angry at me, angry with me, angry with the process? I don't know. But sometimes this uncomfortable yeah. uncomfortability. Yeah. So when you participate in a workshop and you expect the facilitator to lay out all the pebbles and to be very clear for everyone, whenever they're too vague, then there's this moment of uncomfortability. And then you become angry because maybe you've got a certain vision of how facilitation should look like. Mm. But we, we shake things around a bit with a clear intent because we know that there will always be a moment, even when we have a clear vision, that a workshop will take an ex unexpected path. Mm -hmm. And as facilitators, we need to be ready to give an appropriate response when that happens. So we need to also to be able to experience that. So it's therefore a storytelling frame that comes from Asia and that has four steps in it. Ki, show, Ten, and then Ketsu. I don't know if you've seen some Asian or some Japanese movies or anime. I know there's one that I really like is called Your Name. Have you seen it maybe? No. I mean, the story is about uh, a boy and, uh, I mean, teenagers, a boy and a girl. One lives in the city, the other one lives in um, in a small uh, village in the woods. And at some point, they wake up and they've switched bodies. So the boy wakes up in a girl's body, totally uncomfortable. The, the, <laughs> the girl as well, they switch bodies. And so this happens for a bit. So this is 
in, if you look at the key shot in Ketsu structure, this is basically the key. You set the scene, right. things happen, and then you see the, the action starts to ramp up a bit. And so this is basically, you start to see things happening because of the fact that they switch bodies. They get some empathy for one another. They get also some understanding for their lives and their lives start changing. Yes. Okay, so key show. What would happen in a typical Eurocentric or, you know, maybe Western um, uh, view of the world, at some point, they would meet, fall in love, and that's that. Right. right? That's kind of obvious. But the thing is with Kisho Tenketsu storytelling, actually what happens after the show, there's a flip, which is a totally unexpected event that happens. I'm not going to reveal it here because maybe there's spoilers and people would... So if you got the chance... Please uh, watch the movie Your Name by Makoto Shinkai. Okay. And there is an event that is totally unpredictable, except if you've seen the movie, but that totally flips the whole situation around. At some point, they stop switching bodies, and so they try to figure out what happens. And the reason is so surprising that you couldn't even expect it. But I think that's really the beauty of that storytelling because if you apply that to facilitation let's bring people to a place where something totally unexpected can happen and then they get to build an ending out of that so i loved that description i will look up your name i think in complex environments well i know it in complex environments where you don't immediately know the direction that you're traveling in you need to be able to give yourself and the team space to create space to wonder space to flow a little bit in terms of imagination Charlie you had direct experience of this I was invited by an organization to do a quarterly planning session they had some people who had recently been promoted to the product management officer role PMO role they had read in all the books that they should do quarterly planning and so they had invited me to do that and in I had told them, hey, if you want to do some quarterly planning, we need the people who do the work and we need everyone for a couple of days and then we kind of figure out all that. Ah, yeah, no, you know, we don't have time, you don't have this and so on and let's just do it together just with the PMO so that we can already practice and then we'll see and like, that's, uh, we're going to see what's uh, what's up with that. I arrived there to do this uh, quarterly planning with only the PMOs and we had 20 people in the room. There was these PMOs, a couple of people from the business side, and also the IT director. I had half a day with them, which is uh, not a lot for a planning session. But at the beginning of the session, I invite them to share a couple of things. They they just discuss in, in small groups, share what they expect from that session and so on. And after 10, 15 minutes of structured sharing, uh, where they switch groups and so on, so basically they hear from one another different perspectives. I ask them, okay, what did you hear in these conversations? Because, you know, I'm the facilitator Mm -hmm. and I'm here to let things happen, but it's also important for me to know where's the starting point. Mm -hmm. And when I ask that question, what did you hear? What thoughts were surprising? I heard a couple of voices tell me, I've heard that for many people, our roles are not clear. And so we'd like some clarity on that. And then some other people said, oh, we need to plan. So then I was like, okay, you know, we're 15 minutes in our session. Yeah. Uh, we've got half a day together. 
but I hear that there's need for clarity for our roles or there's need for planning. We cannot do both. And so we'll just see what is most important for the group. Mm-hmm. So everybody was sitting down and the title of the meeting was planning. So I asked them, hey, if you think it's important that right now we should clarify our roles first, I'll count to three and then you stand up. And so I did that. I counted to three. And then from the 20 people, I think 16 people stood up. Wow. 16 people. Great message. At least it was clear for me that uh, planning was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I tell them, okay, so basically I see that there's no sense of trying to plan. That was what was happening on the outside. On the inside, it was, oh, 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 okay, change of plans, change of plans. What do we do now? <laughs> that yeah. wasn't expected. Yeah. So basically, then I was like, yeah, well, I need to pivot. I need to adapt. This is the flip that I did not expect. And now, how can I facilitate something so that the clarity on their roles is is present and is and is done because there's no point in me teaching what the books say because being a program manager in a certain organization is mostly only happening in that organization because if you go to another organization there are going to be some slight differences and slight yeah you know in our organization oh you do that in program management office oh no for us it's the project managers that do that yes. and so on and so forth yeah. so there was no point in starting there but i needed to get clarity on these roles so like i totally flipped the script the it director really wanted to plan he was not comfortable with the fact that i changed the initial plan Mm-hmm. Uh, he told me that. But the question I always ask myself is, how can I be of service to the group? Exactly. And yes, I know there's a customer that has asked me to do the planning. And as a facilitator, I told them some of the conditions that were needed for that to happen. We need the people who do the work. We need this and this and this. And when that is not there, and when the clarity of the roles is not there, how can we reach success? Exactly. Pretty, pretty fundamental, having that clarity on roles. Okay, so you did the pivot. Whatever facilitation technique you used, you used it to get clarity. What was the feeling like at the end of that session with the group in the room? The IT director uh, was still adamant that we should have planned. Mm. So he told a couple of people from the business, oh, I'm sorry that we invited you for such a session where you didn't get the outcome that you needed. However, these business people answered to him, you know, it was so much more useful to me because it also showed that we were not the only ones who were confused about the roles. And then many other people said, oh, you know what happened there at least opened up some of the elephant in the room situations, some of the taboo things. And so it's good that it opened up. What we do hope, however, is that this continues. That's the bit. But then for six months, I didn't hear from them again. I asked them, hey, what's the next step? What's the next bit? Because it's important not to kind of let that be. So, you know, on the workshop itself, I think it opened up some very important things. Mm. I could have told you, oh, and then everything was nice, everyone was happy and fine Mm. and so on. I think a couple of things, of course, the fact that the IT director uh, didn't didn't get his planning was probably also an element that explain why nothing happened afterwards i don't know uh, but i know that a couple of people stayed in touch with me they wanted some 
to continue this, but of course there was a kind of nothing happening on the other side, so it's a bit difficult to yeah to assess that. Yeah, but it's a very real example of what yeah. happens when you're invited to facilitate these sessions. You have to be ready to pivot. Yep. You have to be ready to handle uncomfortable situations. I mean, you could have just not asked the difficult question, oh, yeah. not been filled with courage, or stand apart from the pressure that perhaps everyone was feeling in that room for the need to do the planning and just move ahead with the planning. But I wouldn't yeah. have fancied that group's chances of meeting that plan. That I mean, they would dangerous. have had a plan, indeed. But then meeting it, indeed, as you say, wouldn't but, have had it. Yeah. yeah. But also what was really interesting is that still, uh, and, and I think it's in the opening activity, people still felt comfortable of sharing things that they heard. Not necessarily saying, me or I, Charles-Louis, I think that we should first clarify our roles instead of planning, but it was something different. They said, from what I've heard, some people think that it's important for us to clarify the roles. So the way that that activity was designed also made it easy for people to say, I heard it through the grapevine, but I think this is important. Gave them the safety to open up. It's been special, my friend. Come back. And I, I honestly wish you, okay. I know, okay, I know you will. I don't like <laughs> it. I wish you an amazing 2024. Thank you, Nisha. And same to you. Thank you for the lovely invitation and the lovely chat. See you soon. And feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure that you follow us on our socials so that you do not miss out on great episodes and great speakers like this. Bye for now. Bye.